the DeSoto County campus, the fun church in Horn Lake, Mississippi. For more information, visit us at www.mypassion.church. Around here, anybody notice any red doodads going on? It's a celebration, and it's going to get it more intense as we go along in the month. Uh, one of the things we're doing for I Love My Church Month is we're having a quick testimony from some people who love their church. So today, give a warm round of applause to Miss Donna Mitchell. Okay. Hi, guys. Uh, I wrote down a whole bunch of stuff, but I know not to read it because it'll never work. Um, the very first time we came into this church was a Tuesday night prayer. We sit up here and we circle and everybody prays and it's it's done in a whole different ways. But the main thing from the very very first time I ever stepped into this church, I felt loved, loved and accepted, no matter what. They didn't like try to put me under a microscope and figure out, and they just loved me from the beginning. And if you know me, that's not easy to do. But but that's the, to me that's important. You can have everything else. You can have prophecy, you can have speaking in tongues, you can have healings, you can have everything else. And if you don't have love, then what difference does it make? I get a scripture verse from somebody that I love very much. I'm not going to say his name, but he's sitting over there. And he sends it to me every day just in case I didn't read my own word. And today he said something, and I messed it up, but something along the lines that doesn't matter what we say. We can say everything beautiful and take our time and study it and do all this, but it's what we do, and it's how we do it. And this church does it right. This church goes out into the community, at the jail, at the nursing home, knocking on doors, feeding people, singing people, fellowshipping, everything, and it's all in love. Nobody's there saying, well, you got to be there at such and such a time. You know, you, you, know, you got to do this, that, no. We're doing it because we want to, because we love the Lord. And I don't know if, if there's anybody in here, it's your first time. I want you to come here and meet Guy and Angie because they're great people, the pastor and his wife. And this church is full of love. And it starts with them. It starts at the top, it starts God first, but then they, they are then the head of this church. And the love is, I just, I just love you guys. And I thank you so much for everything that you do for everybody. And they don't even know half of it. I don't even know half of it. And I know a lot. <laughs> but I mean, just you guys love so much and we just, we love you because of it. So my thing is, there's a connect desk back there. I think you built that, didn't you? <laughs> and, no, okay. <laughs> there's a connect desk back there. If you have never been to it, go to it. Figure out, look, look, Tim's back there waving, yay. Figure out between you and God, what are you supposed to be doing for him? You don't know? Go back there, get some ideas. Get busy doing God's work. This is a church where you can do whatever God has told you to do. God's not telling you, oh no, that you can't do that. God's saying, if God told you to do it, we support you. And that's the way a church is supposed to be. So I love you guys, thank you so much, and it's only less than three minutes. Here we go, I'm done. <laughs> To 
Today's message, is your, if you're following along in your little bulletins, there's the top sheet, usually ask what today's message is entitled. Today's message is entitled, Get Ready, Stay Ready. Get ready, stay ready. How many knows that car insurance companies don't reward loyalty anymore? They'll be jacking your rates up behind your back, no matter if you've been there for 20 years. They're never going to bring it down. So you have to shop around and find you a new insurance company every so often. Same way with cable and stuff like that. So we got a new car insurance company, and they said, we can take an additional 30% off your rate if you put these monitors on your vehicles. Up to 30%. And the worst you can do, we'll give you 5% for just doing it. And they won't penalize you. I said, well, let's do that because I want people in my household driving right anyway. So we all put these monitors, me and Angie and, and my son Joshua, we put these monitors on our cars. And it, and it monitors if you're having any rapid acceleration or sudden stops. Hard braking, it, it's called. And you can go on the website and you can monitor how good you're doing. So we put them on there. And I drove, I think, 197 miles that first week. And I don't know how many miles Angie and Josh drove, but you can look at it up on that thing. Well, anyway, I came home one day, and they were both grinning like, you know, the canary that ate, or the cat that ate the canary or something, you know. And they were saying, look at this website. And I was thinking, uh-oh. And she said, this is the, the insurance website. It tells us how we've been doing. She says, look, it, it's got a record for my Mustang and for Josh's truck and for your truck. And I said, okay. And I'm thinking they're grinning because they think they've been driving better than me. So anyway, <laughs> Angie opens up her Mustang. They had already looked at it, though. They knew why they were grinning. And she had, like, I'm guessing somewhere in the neighborhood of 12 fast accelerations and 11 hard braking incidents. And I'm thinking, well, I don't know how, how tight they monitor this stuff. You know, that may be good. I don't know. And I said, is that the best you could do, Angie? She said, a Mustang's supposed to go fast. <laughs> Got a Mustang. <laughs> it's the car, yeah. It's not her. Well, so then she says, here's Josh's truck. So she opened it up. He, he did a little better. He had like eight fast accelerations, nine hard brakes. He had more than you? Oh, I got it backwards. <laughs> anyway, I'm still thinking, well, you know, this is, the thing's probably sensitive or something. So they did about the same, you know. And so they open up my truck, but then they won't scroll down to where it says how many of these incidents I had. And I'm thinking, what, was I, did I drive bad? Are they fixing to get me? Finally, reluctantly, they scrolled down. Zero hard breakings. <laughs> zero rapid accelerations. <laughs> zero. <laughs> Thank you very much. Somebody saying mine wasn't plugged in. No, it was plugged in. But you know why mine is zero? Well, first of all, I've got 260-something thousand miles on my truck, and I love my truck, and I want to stay with my truck, and I want to take care of my truck. That's, that's what I'm going to be driving in. 
And so I take care of my truck. And second of all, I pay the insurance. And so naturally, I know if they're monitoring me, I'm going to take care of business. Because I know I'm going to have to pay for it if I don't. John 14, 3. Jesus says, when everything is ready, I will come and get you. I will come and get you. Do you believe that? He said, when everything is ready, I will come and get you so that you will always be with me where I am. We're going to talk about some things that scare some people today. But you don't need to be afraid if Jesus is the Lord of your life and you're living like it. You don't need to be afraid. This is good news. It should excite your heart when Jesus says, I am coming to get you. It's a major tenet of the Christian faith that Jesus is coming back. But I look around at the church and I have to ask, how many are really expecting and watching for His return? If I were to ask you that question, I mean, are you, do you know He's coming back? Are you expecting it? Are you seeing the news and, and the occurrences in modern day and saying, He's about to come back? Is there an excitement, an expectation, and you're preparing yourself for His return? You're living like He's coming back? If I were to ask you to raise your hand, how many would? You could have raised your hand to that one if you want to, but I don't want you to raise your hand to this next one because there's a certain amount of people that have heard this. They've always heard it in church. They kind of believe it, but they really don't expect it to really happen, or at least not in my lifetime. You know, I just, I just, I'm just living life. I'm just, I'm good. You know, I'm not paying that much attention to you, to it. A lot of people could raise their hand for that one, and then there's a third group. Just, I'm sorry, Pastor. I live in the real world. I don't, but I, oh. you're telling me that Jesus is going to come in the clouds and we're going to zap up to heaven. I don't live in a supernatural world, Pastor. I live in a real world. And I just don't, that's, I believe it metaphorically. I believe the Bible's just, you know, spelling out things in a grand way. And it's, I don't believe it's literal. There might be a lot of, would actually raise your hand to that one if we were honest. But I have seen so many signs in this day in which we're living right now that as your pastor, I felt inclined to stir you up a little bit about what the Bible says. So we're going to go through some scriptures today, uh, try to get through everything, because Jesus said in Matthew 24, the signs of the end times were when you would see Wars and rumors of wars, earthquakes, famine. Sin would be rampant. People calling evil good. And calling good evil. The love of many growing cold. Christian persecution is at an all-time high. I don't think we, we grasp a lot of things because we're sheltered here in America. But there's a study that says in 2016, 90, around 90,000 Christians 
were martyred for their faith in 2016. That's one every six minutes. That means while this message is going on, there could be ten people killed for their faith in the Lord Jesus Christ around the world in these Muslim nations and this, these African nations that are turning Muslim and, and, and these things that are going on. It, that's mind-boggling. So it, clearly, if this is going on and we're not praying for our brothers and sisters around the world and, and these things are not for, first and foremost on our mind, we need a little stirring up. We look around, we see the jostling of nations. We see all these nations that were, had terrible leaders. Yeah, they had these dictators, but they were mostly secular dictators over there in the Middle East. But now, through this Arab Spring and all these things, they have been washed out of office and, and the Muslim Brotherhood is now in charge of many of these nations. All the, the, the pieces being put in place, just like the Bible said would happen in the end, being fulfilled before our very eyes. And then we see the signs in heaven. The Bethlehem star was up not too long ago last year, I think. Four blood moons, all occurring on Jewish feast holidays. These things don't just happen, my friends. There's signs and wonders in the heavens. The eclipse recently. And, uh, I hadn't studied this one out too good, but I saw a, a compelling video or two, I, and I studied a little bit, but there's a constellation supposed to be taking place over Jerusalem on September 23rd, which is on the Feast of Trumpets. That's, that's many think will fulfill the prophecy made in Revelation chapter 12, verse 1. So that's all I'll say about that. I'm not setting a date for the rapture. I'm not doing anything like that. I'm not trying to give you any conspiracy theories or any theories at all. But what we are going to do is study the Word of God about some major end-time events. Is everybody okay with that? Yeah. Have you got your seatbelts buckled? Got your wig screwed down or whatever you do? I don't know. Because I don't... You know, I have a responsibility as a pastor to make sure we're ready. You know, I equip you for the work of the ministry, and, and we need to be stirred up. And we don't need scoffers. We don't need to be scoffers. 2 Peter 3.3 says, I want to remind you that in the last days, scoffers will come. Mocking the truth. Say the truth. <laughs> Do you want to know the truth? Do you believe the Word of God is the truth? It says scoffers will come mocking the truth. And then he tells you what the truth is. He says they'll mock the truth and follow their own desires. They will say what happened to the promise of Jesus coming again. There's the truth. It's been promised that Jesus will come again. And people, when you scoff and say, I don't believe Jesus is coming, I don't really believe that's happening, and you're not ready for it, you're kind of scoffing at the truth. So, you know, when I, when I had first got born again, I guess it was a year or two afterwards maybe, uh, my brother Heath, he got, he got saved too, a little bit after I did, and he began to go to a, a, a Baptist church, and they had this weekend conference thing called Revelation Celebration, was it? 
I had no idea, and many of you may be sitting here today in that same boat, I had no idea what happens after this. I just know here I am, I got saved, I feel good, my sins are forgiven, but I had no idea what comes next. So I went to this, me and Angie went to this conference, and, and my brother and his wife, and it was about a day-long thing, and it was different, and they got much more in detail than I will today. I'll just give you an overall picture of the timeline. But I walked away from there thinking, wow, I had no idea that God has all this planned out. I didn't know what was coming next. And so I hope that it will give you perspective today. And listen, don't be afraid. It's good news for the believer. So because of the time restraints, I'll just have to hit it from a high level. I'm not going to argue over the specifics of some of it, specifics. But we'll just kind of talk about the major doctrines laid out in the Christian church. Okay, a quick history recap. And here we go. I'm going to put my own self on a time schedule. God created man, man rejected God. How quick is that for you? <laughs> history, our history. God created man and man rejected God. So God gave the law to help us keep from killing one another, to give us some guidelines to go by, and to point us to, toward the need of a Savior. Because, man, we thought we could, we could obey the law until we saw the law and said, no, we can't. We can't save ourselves. And so God came down in the flesh. He died on the cross to pay our sin debt and, and all of mankind's sin debt. So he took care and ushered in what we call the age of grace. It's, it's what we're living in right now. It's the church age. You know, after the cross. Let's go ahead. Who's got their bulletin? You got your little bulletin? I put you a, a chart on there. Does anybody need a bulletin? There's a couple hands up. Could we get bulletins so they can... Sorry to spring that on you at the last moment. There's got a few people that didn't get their bulletins. Anyway, on your bulletin, you can see where it says Old Testament times before the cross. I probably should have had something put up there, but I didn't. So all of human history up to the cross, you see the red cross there. I didn't mean it to be the red cross, but it ended up being the red cross. And after the cross began the church age. The time in which uh, we're no longer doing animal sacrifices and the blood of animals is not taken away or temporarily covering our sins, but we have been washed in the blood of Jesus for those who have made Jesus Lord of their life. It's an age of grace. And then you'll see, we'll talk about these other events that happen along this timeline. So you may, I'm just telling you to get that out because you may want to pay attention to that. But the church age is a wonderful time to live. Our sins are forgiven. We can walk in newness of His mercy every day. We can walk with God. See, the Old Testament saints didn't have the Spirit of God living on the inside of them. We have God's Spirit. We've been washed clean by His blood. We have the written Word of God. And we can use the name of God. Things Old Testament saints didn't have. We can live free. It's grace. It's something that we didn't deserve. But many people don't understand God's grace. We've kind of taken grace. Here in America, a lot of people have taken grace and said, well, now I've got a, a ticket to heaven. I'm good. And that's as far as they go. Or they say, well, I've got a ticket to heaven, and now I can sin without feeling bad. 
I can do what I want to because I can be forgiven. And we're, taking, we're presuming on the grace of God. The grace of God is not given so that we can continue in our sin. The grace of God is given to get us to, to, out of the bondage of sin. Romans 5.20 says, where sin did abound, grace did much more abound. Grace is given so you don't have to reap the wages of the sin, which is death. That you can see things. You can have a new perspective. You can have the Spirit of God leading you. You can choose to walk in the Spirit where there's life and peace and not walk in death and destruction and constant going around the same old loser mountain. There is a new life available to all who will call upon the name of the Lord. And it's the truth, I'm telling you. We live in a wonderful, wonderful time. And God's intention is that with this grace, and when we said to, to receive His grace, you said, Jesus, be my Lord. And Lord means He's the boss. And with that, you would become a mighty soldier for Jesus Christ, and you would become an ambassador for the kingdom of heaven. And you would go out telling other people about this wonderful grace that you have found. See, you're, not, you're given a purpose too. You're not only forgiven, you're given a purpose with your life. And so, it's not just a, a ticket to heaven, it's not just a license to sin, it's a license to be all you were called to be, to be great in the eyes of God and in the kingdom of heaven. And see, this church age is going to draw to a close. It doesn't go on, but it's just... How many of you here uh, know that there's a 100% mortality rate right here in DeSoto County? How many realize one day you're going to die if you don't get raptured first? Okay, so the church age will come to a close for you at that point. But the church age is going to come to a close when Jesus comes back for the church. And so we've given a, a space of time, and we don't know how long that time is. We know it's been over 2,000 years so far, right? We've had 2,000 years to get this right, to begin to get an understanding of what we're supposed to be doing. Now there's 7 billion people on the planet, and we're supposed to be out getting them saved, making disciples so that they can go out and, and share the grace. We have a job function. Romans 11.25 says, but this will last only until the full number of Gentiles come to Christ. He's talking about the church age. You see, his own people, the Jews, rejected Jesus. And so he turned his attention to the world, the Gentiles, that's us. And so he's going to turn his attention back to the Jews, but right now his attention is on the world. And so we have a certain amount of time until the full number of Gentiles, until that last person gets saved, until Jesus comes back and God turns his attention back to the Jews. So we should live with a sense of urgency, a readiness. You know, even in, the Apostle Paul in his day thought that through some of his writing, you can tell he thought that the rapture was going to happen, Jesus was going to come back in his lifetime. But I think it's coming back in our lifetime. We should be ready whether, whether it comes back in our lifetime or not. Because every second of your life counts, you see. Jesus told the story about the ten bridesmaids or the ten virgins. They're 
supposed to get married to the, to the king or whatever. And uh, the husbandman. And he's supposed to come back for them. And they're supposed to be getting ready. Well, five of them were wise, and five of them were foolish. Five of them stayed ready, looking for his return, kept oil in their lamps. Five of them let their oil go out. And that's kind of representative of the Holy Spirit that we're supposed to live with. We're supposed to be, you know, we're not supposed to do this on our own. We're supposed to be filled with the Holy Spirit. We're supposed to be walking in the Spirit, not in the flesh. And so five were foolish. They let their lamps go out. When Jesus came back, guess what happened? They were caught gone trying to drum something up real quick. And that's the way a lot of people are today. They think, well, I'll, when, I, you know, when I hear that trumpet sound, I'll drum something up real quick. No, we're talking of tw- in the blink of an eye. Matthew 25, 10 says, But while they were gone to buy oil, the bridegroom came. Then those who were ready went in with him to the marriage feast, and the door was locked. Sort of like when the, the ark was shut with Noah and those who would get in. Later, when the other five bridesmaids returned, they stood outside calling, Lord, Lord, open the door for us. But he called back, believe me, I don't know you. He says, so you too much keep watch, for you do not know the day or the hour of my return. See, God was smart enough not to give us a date and an hour, because a lot of people be waiting, well, the day before, I'm going to get ready. Human nature. But what is this passage saying? Is it saying that born-again saved people could miss the rapture and be stuck down here on the earth during the tribulation? It seems to imply that to me. You'll have to make your own determination on that. Can say, just everybody, just because you're saved, do you, when Jesus comes back, do we all get raptured whether we're living for him or not? Uh, turn to Luke. 12, verse 35. Luke chapter 12. Jesus is is preaching here, talking to his disciples. He says, be dressed for service and keep your lamps burning. There's those lamps again. What do lamps need to keep burning? Oil filled with the Holy Ghost. As though you were waiting for your master to return from the wedding feast. Then you will be ready to open the door and let him in the moment he arrives and knocks. The servants who are ready and waiting for his return will be rewarded. That sounds good. I tell you the truth, he himself will seat them, put on an apron, and serve them as they sit and eat. Can you imagine Jesus is going to come back and in the first meal we eat, Jesus is going to put on an apron and serve us. He's so happy to see us. Do you not see the love in that scripture? He's saying, if you'll wait on me, I'll wait on you. It's a beautiful picture. He may come in the middle of the night or just before dawn, but whenever he comes, he will reward the servants who are ready. Understand this, if the homeowner knew exactly when a burglar was coming, he would not permit his house to be broken into. You also must be ready all the time, for the Son of Man will come when least expected. Peter asked, Lord, is this illustration just for us or is it for everyone? And the Lord replied, a faithful and sensible servant is one 
whom the master can give the responsibility of managing his other household servants and feeding them. Loving people, taking care of others. If the master returns and finds the servant has done a good job, there will be a reward. I tell you the truth, the master will put that servant in charge of all he owns. He's a good dad, man. He's just, he's longing to give you the kingdom. He's longing to give you rewards. But if that servant thinks my master won't be back for a while and he begins beating the other servants, partying, getting drunk, the master will return unannounced and unexpected and he will cut the servant in pieces and banish him with the unfaithful. What does that mean? Let's move on, pastor. The Bible is the Bible. I told y'all a story not too long ago when I was in junior high, I played on a football team, and uh, I was slow as Christmas, and, but I wanted to be a running back, you know. I wanted to carry the ball. And so I begged the coach one practice, coach, coach, let me run the ball, let me run the ball. So he said, all right, run a play. And so I ran a couple plays, and, and I plowed through some guys. I was kind of strong, I was slow as Christmas, but I could, you know, he said, I might give you a chance in the game. So the next game, I, I was normally only playing defense, but when we had the ball, and uh, he said, Sheffield, go in there and run a 42 dive, which means the fullback runs through the two hole to the right of the quarterback. And so I was the fullback. I was going to get to run the ball, and I was so excited. He said, down, said, hut, and I went this way. And the quarterback turned this way. For some reason, in my lightning quick mind, I was thinking, two holes over there. I didn't know the playbook well. Guess how many times I got to run the ball that season? Never again. <laughs> I did not know the playbook. I had missed out on my opportunity. Now, my, my brother Heath that I told you about, he's six years younger, but I have to admit he's more gifted athlete than me. He was the quarterback on his high school team. He told the story one time, his best friend, Ted Ferretti, was the center. And he said they, they were uh, running plays at practice, and they called, uh, he said, on two, that means on the second hut. He called to play. So Heath gets up under Ted Freddy. You know, he's got, he's down, said, hut. And Ted snapped it on the first hut. He didn't know the snap count. And Heath's hands weren't like they're supposed to be. He had them just dangling there. He was getting ready to do that. And the ball caught him. Oh, about broke his finger. He said he stomped around, probably said some words you couldn't say in church. He was mad, mad. And he, he, they were trying to hold him off Ted. You know, Ted's his best friend. But he, he was mad at Ted for snapping the ball about breaking his finger. The coach said, run it again on two. So I, can, I wasn't there, but he tells it. He said, I got up there. Down. Set. He said, what? <laughs> Ted Ferretti in the butt, knocked him off on his helmet. Ted got up, and they went to whooping on him. You know, they were best friends just to whooping on him. Of course, you can't hurt nobody with a helmet and pads on, so they laughed. They probably got down on the ground and started laughing because you couldn't hurt one another. But you got to know the snap count. Don't make your quarterback want to just kick you in the butt. <laughs> you know how to know the snap count? You, you stay with the team. You go to the huddle, like we're in a huddle today. 
and you listen for it. And in the meantime, you study your playbook so that you can be used. Hebrews 10.25 says, Let us not neglect our meeting together, as some people do, but encourage one another. Say, encourage one another. Especially now that the day of His return is drawing near. See, especially now. Because it's been 2,000 years since this was written. If He didn't come back then, I know He's got to be close now. As, the day, as we see His return draw, ask yourself, is His return near? Ask your heart right now, what do you think? <laughs> yeah. I can hear somebody warming up on that trumpet right now. I love my church. That's why it's important that we stay together, we learn the plays, we huddle up, we watch, and we're ready, encouraging one another. How many of you need encouragement along the way? Yes, you do. All right, the rapture. Do you really believe, Pastor, in a literal rapture we're going to be drawn up into the sky? What did I say? A literal rapture. You know, it's a literal one. Yes, I believe that. And my question is, why don't you? You say you believe the Word of God. What does the Word say? 1 Thessalonians 4.16. Most of you could probably quote this. I've said it so many times. For the Lord Himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, and the voice of the archangel and the trump of God. Then the dead in Christ shall rise first. That means those who have gone before us. Our, our ancestors, our loved ones who have gone on in the Lord to be with the Lord. Their spirits are with Him, but their bodies are in the earth. And when Jesus comes back, those bodies are going to be resurrected new. And they're going to meet their souls in the air and be reunited with an immortal body. Watch what it says. First, the believers who have died will rise from their graves. Verse 17, Then together with them, we who are still alive and remain on the earth, and I believe that's we, will be caught up in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. Then we will be with the Lord forever. Amen. So encourage one another. There it is again. If this is such a hard message, then why does God keep saying encourage one another? Because it's good news for the believer. It's good news for those who are doing what they're supposed to be doing. 1 Corinthians 15, 51 says, Let me reveal to you a wonderful secret. We will not all die. What does that mean? I thought you said we was all going to die. Or be raptured. There'll be, a, there'll be a people alive when the rapture happens. And I'm hoping this, and I'm part of it. But we will all be transformed. It will happen in a moment, in a blink of an eye, when the last trumpet is blown. For when the trumpet sounds, those who have died will be raised to live forever. That's what eternal means. Eternal life. And we who are, who are living will also be transformed, for our dying bodies must be transformed into bodies that will never die. Our mortal bodies will be transformed into immortal bodies. Man, we'll be like Jesus was after he was resurrected. Walk through walls, you know, no pain, no suffering, no sorrow. So what, what happens after we're resurrected. After, after that trumpet sounds, Jesus comes to meet us in the air, 
The dead are resurrected, the, the godly dead are resurrected, and their bodies go up to meet their souls, and they're, they're, they're resurrected new, and we get new bodies, and we're changed in the twinkling of an eye, we're like him, now we're all with Jesus. Well, we go to, uh, huh? Supper time, yeah, we'll, I'm, we'll go have that uh, meal where he waits on us and everything, but we'll go before the judgment seat of Christ is what I was trying to think of. The judgment seat of Christ is where Christians, whose sins are forgiven, sit down with Jesus and he, he judges our lives based on how we lived. You were given these certain gifts and so forth. What did you do with what I gave you to do? You won't be judged against somebody else. You'll be judged with what he gave you. And so you'll be given rewards for what you did good and what you did bad. And we'll leave it at that. So we'll be up in heaven with Jesus for the next seven years, is my understanding. Now, I'm, I'm what you call a pre-trib. I believe that we'll be raptured before the tribulation. Uh, some people believe we'll be raptured during the tribulation, some afterwards. There's, there's arguments about the timing of these things. But I don't believe uh, we're appointed to wrath. Because 1 Thessalonians 4 says about the rapture, 1 Thessalonians 5, 9 says, For God chose to save us through the Lord Jesus Christ, not to pour out His anger or His wrath on us. We've been saved. And He's not going to pour out His anger on us. He's going to pour it out on the wicked and vile generation. Christ died for us so that whether we are dead or alive when He returns, we can live with Him forever. So encourage each other encourage this is the most encouraging message I've ever preached <laughs> encourage each other and build each other up just as you're already doing because we're going to be with Jesus forever once once that trumpet sounds from then on we're good man no more tears no more suffering no more of any of that stuff no even we don't even want a remembrance of this place it'll be so good on the earth though those who got left behind and I hope Hope it's no Christians that didn't let the oil go out. Seven years of what they call tribulation. It's broken up into two, three and a half year segments. In the first segment, the Antichrist is revealed. He won't be revealed until the church is taken out of the way according to another scripture. and got time for that. But the Antichrist will be revealed. He will be, reveal himself as a man of peace. He will institute peace in Jerusalem, which nobody's been able to do heretofore for a reason and so the people will have great heed into him he'll they'll, the whole world will love him the jews in the meantime will get to rebuild their temple they'll reinstitute animal sacrifices because they're still living in the old testament and jews will think that they have what they want until the antichrist jumps up and says he jumps up on a hickory stump and says boy let me tell you what he jumps up and sets his throne in the temple of God, claiming to be himself God here on the earth. The Antichrist. It's the abomination of desolation spoken of in, way back in the book of Daniel, chapter 9. And so that's, that's about to happen. That'll happen soon after. That'll happen at the, the midpoint of the tribulation. When that happens, from then on, you enter into the great tribulation. The first three and a half years tribulation, second three and a half, the great tribulation. Meanwhile, God 
begins to pour out his wrath and anger on the wicked nations of the world, those who have rejected him. I'm going to rush through this real quick. Uh, he opens seven seals in Revelations 6 and 7. Uh, peace is destroyed. There's financial collapse, pestilence, starvation. Earthquakes begin at a new pace. Meteorites are pelting the earth. People are fleeing and hiding in caves. The wind is held back. It's just still no relief from all that's going on. And during this time, 144,000 Jews who have kept themselves pure for God will be sealed, and they'll go about preaching the gospel. <laughs> Though God, God is so tender. He gives us all the way up to the, to the rapture to choose him, and then even after, the ones that don't choose him, and that they're getting their just rewards, he's saying, okay, you're getting a whooping now, do you change your mind? He's still merciful. There's still people that can be saved during the rapture. But meanwhile, I don't know if this is the kind of way I would want to get saved. Seven angels blow seven trumpets in Revelations 8 and 9. There's fire and hailstones cast to the earth that one-third of the earth, the vegetation, is burned up. The sea is turned to blood. One-third of all the sea life dies. One-third of the ships destroyed. There's a great meteor called wormwood that strikes the earth and makes the waters poisonous. The sun and the moon is darkened by one-third. There's a bottomless pit opened up on the sixth, fifth trumpet. Locusts and scorpions, huge locusts and scorpions come out of a bottomless pit and begin to sting people to the point where people want to die but can't. And the sixth angel blows the trumpet. Four bound demons are released from that pit. And one-third of all mankind dies in war and still the ungodly refuse to repent with all this going on after this revelations 15 16 there's seven bowls of wrath of god's wrath that is poured out upon the earth horrible sores appear on those that have taken the mark of the beast 666 you know it's, it talks about taking it in your hand or in your forehead the mark of the beast don't take it I hope you're not here to have a chance to take it, but don't take it. Once you take that, you have, you have sealed your fate. There's no going back. The second bowl, all sea life dies. The other two-thirds. All the waters begin to be polluted. The sun begins to burn and scorch people here on the earth. The, the radiation from the sun. There's no wind blowing. But then it says complete darkness and the fifth bowl is unleashed. I guess probably the smoke rising up from the pit that's been opened. The smoke rising up from the nuclear war that's killed off a third of the population. It's a horrible time. Complete darkness is over the Antichrist rule. The river Euphrates is dried up. And then all the enemies of God's people, Israel, are joined together in the valley of Megiddo for the battle of Armageddon. Because they think they're finally going to overthrow God all the armies of of those nations and the seventh bowl is poured out there's a great earthquake huge hailstones pound the earth cities of the nations fall islands sink into the sea and the mountains are brought low it's such an incredible earthquake the Bible says that the, 
there's tribulation such as mankind has never even dreamed of. It's, it's not a good time to be on the earth. And it says if, if Jesus wouldn't have intervened, nobody would survive this period. But thank goodness, those seven years come to an end when the, all those armies are arrayed against God's people in the valley. Isaiah 24, 5 says, The earth suffers for the sins of its people, for they have twisted God's instructions, violated His laws, and broken His everlasting covenant. Therefore, a curse consumes the earth. Its people must pay for the price for their sins. They are destroyed by fire, and only a few are left alive. The seven-year tribulation period is concluded when Jesus comes back riding on a white horse to fight against the armies that have arrayed against his people, the Jews. We, as those who have gone to be with him in the rapture and have been there with him for seven years, come riding with him on white horses. Uh, Antichrist, all the wicked armies are all overthrown and defeated. And Isaiah says in 24, 21, In that day the Lord will punish the gods in the heavens and the proud rulers of the nations of the earth. The little g gods, the spiritual wickedness in heavenly places, meaning the heavens and, you know, around the earth. They will be rounded up and put into prison. They will be shut up in prison and will finally be punished. The devil himself, that old dragon, the serpent, the devil, will be bound and cast into a bottomless pit for a period of 1,000 years. So, that leaves only... Uh, a small population left on the earth. The devil has been taken care of. The enemies of God have been destroyed. And now Jesus sets up his rule on the earth. Are you looking at your timeline here? You see the second coming of Christ after the seven-year period of tribulation begins a 1,000-year millennial reign of Christ. This is the time where Jesus will rule and reign on the earth. He comes back with his saints. We're in our new spiritual bodies, in our new immortal bodies, and we will rule and reign with him over the people of the earth that are survived in the future generations that will begin to grow during this thousand-year period. You know, a thousand years, you can have a lot of them, you know, get back around seven billion if people on the earth. Revelation 26 says, Blessed and holy are those who share in the first resurrection. That's what we want. We want to share in the first resurrection. We want to be, when we die, we want to be resurrected into new life, the first resurrection. For them, the second death holds no power, but they will be priests of God and Christ and will reign with him 1,000 years. So you remember all the thing, times that he says that if you'll be faithful with a little, I'll make you ruler over much. He who has done good with what I've given him, I will give him more. All these things. See, the, the things that you're doing now on this earth will be rewarded with authority and stuff on the new heaven and the new, the new earth. And especially during this thousand year millennial reign of Christ. Isaiah 2.4 says, The Lord will mediate between the nations and will settle international disputes. They will hammer their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nations will no longer fight against nations nor train for war anymore. Isaiah 32, 18 says, My people will live in safety, quietly at home. They will be at rest. 
I'm not sure exactly what goes on. I am not an end time expert, as you can probably tell. But uh, during this time where Jesus is ruling and reigning on the earth, I'm sure the earth is released from the curse. And, and God is saying, here, here is how I intended earth to be. It'll be a beautiful place again. How many saw the Lion King when Scar was in charge? It was all dark. And that's kind of like the earth is now compared to when Simba came back. And everything began to blossom. And Jesus comes back and he, he rules with a, an iron rod. He rules with a scepter. He's coming back as the conquering king, not coming back as the lamb anymore. He's coming back on a white horse for victory. And now his way goes. We're living in a thousand year millennial reign where Jesus' word is finally adhered to. And his justice. And we'll know what, what it was supposed to be like from the beginning until sin entered in. So how does this end? Well, you remember the devil was thrown into the bottomless pit for a thousand years? Well, at the end of this thousand year period, he'll be released for a season. I don't know how long the season is, probably not too long, but long enough to go around to all these humans that have been born during this thousand year period and get them to join in a rebellion against God. Do you believe that? They're living with Jesus, with righteousness, justice, and truth, and they can still be talked into rebelling against God. That is the nature of human. You can't trust yourself. If you can see anything through this timeline, see that we got, we got to just hold on to Jesus. The, uh, the heart of man without the, the redemptive work of Jesus, without the Holy Spirit, without dedication and following Him will get wackadoo. And it, will, I, it's, it blows my mind that after 1,000 years with Jesus on the earth, a new heaven, I mean a new earth, and Him ruling with righteousness and truth, and none of this craziness that you see going on, people will still say, oh, I don't want that. Me and the devil, we're going to get together and whoop Jesus. But they do. Well, the Bible doesn't have a lot to say about that except for fire is going to come down from heaven and consume them. God has about had enough at this point. He has given you every example, every opportunity. He's, get, he's given people the choice after choice. Okay, here's your choice if you do this. Here's, here's what will happen if you don't do Here's He is laying it out before us. And he's showing mercy and a chance to repent and a chance and a chance and a chance. And then finally, after they've had a thousand years of Jesus, they still don't want him. Then boom, fire comes down from heaven and destroys all those who rebel against God at this point, including the devil. He is cast into the lake of fire. Woo! And that'll be it for him for all eternity. And so now, we have a new heaven and a new earth. I think that's when, probably when Peter talks about the earth will melt with fervent heat. We have new bodies and stuff. I guess he'll move us over to heaven for a minute and, and recreate the earth. And it says a new heaven, a, a, a new earth, and a new Jerusalem comes down out of the sky. It's a thousand miles wide or something. Some big, huge city comes down. And the earth is recreated in just splendor, beauty. And God himself will be the light. It says not even having need for the sun and the moon. That God himself will be the light of the earth. 
And so that begins eternity. We will, we will live with God for all eternity. I'm not sure what happens, but I just know from the, from the day I got born again, I'm with Jesus. I'm with him through this church age. I'll be with him in the rapture. I'll be with him in the tribulation. I'll be with him through the millennial reign of Christ, and I'll be with him through all eternity. So I'm encouraging you with these words. Be like me. Stuck on Jesus. No Old Testament man rejected God, but God didn't reject man and gave his life. In the church age, everyone is shown a better choice. They're called to live in God's grace. He's saying, look, you don't have to live like that. You don't have to be bound by sin. You don't, look, that's darkness. Come over here to the light. And he gives us all these tools to live a real life. But those who reject him during the tribulation, they're still given one last opportunity to repent. It'll probably cost them their life, but they can still repent. Meanwhile, his believers, those who have already chosen, they don't have to endure the wrath. They're spared. In the millennial reign, people get to experience all that this earth was supposed to be and all that God intended with Jesus in charge, but still people reject Him. And in eternity, those who trust God go with God. Those who don't, won't. Everybody gets what they choose. It has always been about your choice. It's always been about your choice. God has done everything He can to show you. Choose life. Even when He said that scripture, He says, Today I set before you life and death, blessing and cursing. He laid out the hands, made it so plain, and then He, he couldn't help Himself. Choose life. Choose life. He has done everything to plead with you, to believe His Word, to trust in Him. I've chose to spend eternity with Jesus. I hope you have too. I've chose to respond to the urgency of the gospel. Because this church age, it could end any time. And I want to be found faithful when He comes back. I want to be ready. I want to be a good soldier of the Lord Jesus Christ. And I know you do too. Your heart cries out for it. So many of you, great soldiers of Jesus Christ, Just like those monitors on our car. You're driving down here is being monitored for future rewards. Isn't it? You'll pay the bills for everything you do. So live with a sense of urgency, a sense of seriousness about the situation. The only heartbreaking and rapid acceleration I want is heartbreaking from my sinful past and a rapid acceleration into my sense of urgency for the gospel. Study the playbook. Stay in the huddle. Don't make the quarterback want to kick you in the rear end. We'll close with 1 John chapter 3. Dear friends, we are already God's children. But He has not yet shown us what it will be like when Christ appears. 
Another place it says it's not entered into the heart of man. What God has prepared for those who love Him. See, this, for the born-again believer who is really living for Him and really wait, this is the best sermon you ever probably ever heard. For the, if, if your heart is sinking right now, it's not too late for it to be the best message of your life. Because you just make a turnaround. You just change your mind. The eyes of your understanding, let them be enlightened today that you may know what is the hope of your calling. That you understand the seriousness of the time in which we live. Your decisions have consequences. Your indecision has consequences. We don't know what we'll be like when Christ appears, but in another place we'll see Him and we'll be like Him. But we know that we will be like Him for we will see Him as He really is. Oh, there it is. And all who have this Eager expectation. Eager expectation will keep themselves pure. Just as He is pure. I know I hit a lot of stuff. I mean, I don't know if anybody has ever covered the whole timeline in 40 minutes there. And maybe you have questions or whatever. Maybe I should do a a series on it. But I think the, the main points have gone across here today. I, I hope through all this and I can't get my words out straight and all, and this weak delivery, you still get it. That Christ is able to use the foolish things of the world to confound the wise. You are special. Your life counts. God has done everything at every turn to call you to Himself. There's nowhere you can go to escape His love. Nothing shall separate you from the love of God. Angels, principalities, rulers, darkness. Nothing. Height, depth. Nothing. The only thing that would make you leave here today unencouraged is that you still choose to rebel against such a great love. Thanks for listening to the podcast today. We hope you enjoyed it and that it inspires you to live out God's Word. For more information, visit us at www.mypassion.church.